And if you're not prepared, we do have those boxes at the back. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 12 this morning. And as we get started, I want to start just a little bit differently before we get to reading the Word. And this is very different for me, so bear with me, and I hope I can get back on track after, but I need to ask for a few volunteers. Now, before you commit, because I know we today have commitment issues... I think normally men get um, blamed for this more than women. So we'll see if women commit as well. But I just need like three to five volunteers to answer one simple question. You don't need to do anything crazy. I'm not the youth pastor. I'm not going to have anybody swallow a goldfish, eat a blended up Big Mac, do any cup games. Actually, Chuck does not like those type games. So if you're a parent in here, you can find joy in knowing that your kids are safe from all of that. But I do need to ask for just a few volunteers. So if you are willing to answer one simple question, just raise your hand right now. Thank you. Be ready. I'll ask you. You don't even need to come up front. Faith, thank you for raising your hand. I saw that little. Yes, thank you very much. Um, Just a few more here. Raise your hand if you can answer one simple question. Thank you, Addie. Titus. Great, that works wonderfully. How about an, an older gentleman or lady, you know, somebody my age? I thought I'd get a couple laughs there. Dennis Webster, yes, thank you for volunteering. Okay, here's the simple question. And as I ask for volunteers, really, let me tell you, you are all volunteers because whether I'm going to have you say this out loud or not, I want you to be thinking about this. You see, there are many times in life where we are just struggling. There's many things in our life that we think about coming up and we think, wow, that really troubles me to think about this event that's coming up or this activity or this task, something that's, that's, that we just know is burdensome as we think about it. So my question, my one question, my simple question faced is this. What troubles you? Think about that question. What troubles you? Now, we're not talking about a, um, oh, what's that, what's that show? Oh, gosh, I can't think about it. I was thinking about Miss America. We're not, this isn't a Miss America competition. I've never watched one of those, by the way. But I know they get made fun of for the fact that they come up here and they think they talk about world peace. What troubles you? That there's not world peace. That does trouble us. What troubles you? That there's alcoholics. That there's drugs. There's, there's death. There's burdens everywhere we look. These are troublesome, but I'm talking about personally to you, an event, a task, something that you think about coming. And maybe this is something that happens daily. Maybe it's something that's weekly. Maybe it's something that's just occasionally, like cleaning your bedroom. That's troublesome. That is really troubling news. Think about having to clean your bedroom. I see lots of laughs, so I know you agree. Faith, what's troubling to you? Being a student with homework and practice. Did I hear? Student athlete with homework and practice. That's true. Boy, that is troubling to think about being a student, to think about all the athletics and from after school till sometimes 11 p.m. at night or later having these track practices and meets. I think I'm getting that correct with you or volleyball or baseball or softball or all these other soccer and other things. That's, that, as good as it can be and fun, it can be troubling. When you think about all the other things of life that you still need to do. 
Something else. Who else raised your hand? Gary, something troubling. Brian, sorry. Yeah, that's troubling to think about having to fix your car. And where's the money going to come from? Addie, what's something troubling, a task, an event, something in your life? Work. Come on, can somebody raise their hand to that one? Is work troubling? Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> something else that's troubling. Who else raised their hand for me? Titus, what's something troubling that you have to do? Cleaning your bedroom. That's all right to say that one. All right. Um, couple more. You didn't even, you don't, do not have to raise your hand. Ron. Yeah, paperwork. Dennis Webster, you got to have something. You didn't really raise your hand, but. Children and grandchildren. Even somewhat adopted grandchildren that are sitting next to you. Yeah, they can be troubling too, can't they? You see, as I wrote this, I wrote down some examples of things which I think we all can find troubling at times. I wrote down school. I wrote down homework. I wrote down doctor's appointments. I wrote down medicine. And what I meant by that is having to take medicine. And especially, like, it's one thing when you're my age, as old as I am, I generally only take medicine at this point in my life if it's a vitamin or a supplement or something like that. I'm not, I'm not bound to this pill container But I've seen some people like Larry Foster, who's in Arizona still. He might be watching online. I don't know. He opens up that pill container at breakfast, Thursday morning Bible study breakfast, and he has probably 20 pills in there. How do you take all these in one day? Half the time I take a vitamin, I feel like I'm going to be sick. Let alone all these. It's troubling to think about taking vitamins. Okay, I wrote down making meals can be troubling. I like to eat out. Mostly because I just don't like being a slave to that oven or that stovetop. I love my wife and even my kids because they feed me. I don't mind making meals once the weather gets nice and be cooking on the grill or, or cooking over a, a smoker. I don't mind cooking meals like omelets or eggs because they're relatively fast, relatively just a couple ingredients. But you won't normally see me with a pot on every burner, I'll tell you that. Let's see. I wrote down mowing the lawn, shoveling snow, cleaning the garage. Oh, that is on my list. And I am greatly troubled with the thought of having to clean my garage here soon with spring coming. Changing a poopy diaper. Can I even say that out loud? Can I say that over live stream? Uh, Julia, did our live stream just get kicked off? I said a dirty word. All seriousness, in today's scripture of John 12, 27, we read that even Jesus, the Son of God, was troubled. Greatly troubled. His soul is troubled. The Son of God, the prophesied Messiah, our great and mighty Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is troubled. Thank you to all you volunteers who spoke up. Thank you to all those who even just took a moment to think in their mind of what troubles you. As I wanted to relate that to our own lives and to Jesus. I wanted to connect us together with this idea that just as we get troubled, Jesus also got troubled. Jesus was both God and man, and he was not emotionless. He was not detached from our our cause and his. He was not um, 
He, he knew just what we needed. And it was burdensome to him too. And that's okay. The difference is he never sinned. He never allowed his emotions to take control or to sway him from his purpose in fulfilling God's will and glory. I want to read now. And as we read John 12, it will be up here. Verse, I'm going to read from uh, 27 to 50, but we won't get time to cover all of this today, but I at least want to set it up. I want you to see the full picture of what Jesus is dealing with here. And before we read, you need to know one thing. In verse 27, we are actually skipping over Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And the reason why, we're talking about that next week. So we're skipping over it one week. But you do need to know that as we look forward past it, Jesus has also been past it. Jesus has already triumphantly entered into Jerusalem. And at this time, as glorious as it was, possibly millions of people watching him, waving palm branches. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's next week. But it does set up the scripture well for you. As you think, just a few days before, Jesus had people waving palm branches and in essence yelling, Hallelujah, the king has come. And now we read this. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. Now this isn't in the middle of walking down Main Street with people waving palm branches at you or him. I know sometimes as much as I can be an outgoing upfront person, sometimes you get that, you get that attention and you can be troubled. Oh, I don't like that attention. I think of um, my daughter's volleyball team yesterday. You know, volleyball, they come up with these ace things where when they get an ace, um, they, make, they, they do some type of gesture, whether it be a clap and yelling ace, or they, they started this ace, 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 and then the person who served kind of gets to dance in between them and be celebrated. Well, some of the teens, some of the girls, they didn't like that. They do it, but they're kind of like, I don't like the attention. Jesus is not troubled because the attention this is past that. Jesus is living in the shadow of the cross now. And Jesus says, this is past the, the triumphant entry. I hope I brought that in. I hope I presented that well. Jesus now thinking about what is to come. He says, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. I get chills as I think about Jesus coming upon the, the day of the cross, the day of his betrayal, arrest, crucifixion. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. That's God, that's a father. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Not everybody understood what was happening, but they knew something was happening. Jesus answered then, this voice, notice his voice. This was the voice of God. This was a voice from heaven. He says this, Voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die 
So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. And now we see the status quo of the people, the unbelief of the people. After this, we get this great little postscript commentary summary of what's happening. As John writes, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, saying, Lord, who has believed they heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah had prophesied and said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of them. Now, I truly believe, and we're not focusing on this part of Scripture today, but I truly do believe that we all, all people on this earth, only have so much time to accept Christ as Lord, to follow God, to follow his will, to glorify him with their lives. There will be a day when that time ends. There will be a day, and we know from Scripture, we know from looking back even to Pharaoh, that God gave him an opportunity to submit to the Lord's bidding, the Lord's will. And yet there came a time due to Pharaoh already hardening his heart that God hardened it fully. There would be no more option. Continuing on, it says, nevertheless, we're at verse 42 of John chapter 12. It says, nevertheless, many, even the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. There's another lesson there, another sermon there about secret discipleship. And is there such thing as secret discipleship? Because I believe as you have this secret discipleship, it only leads one of two directions. Either eventually it does lead to Christ or it continues to to lead down to destruction as you're not truly submitting to him at all. You're hiding. You're hiding. You want to have the bo- both things, the best of both worlds. But I tell you the truth, everything of this world honestly just leads to more pain and struggles for God's world is the only world we were truly designed to be part of. We weren't designed, created for the purpose of truly being submitted to this fallen sinful world. We were created to be submitted to God and be in a perfect unity relationship with him. Let's read on. Jesus came to save the world. In verse 44, it reads, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to the judge to judge the world, but to save the world. 
The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus was always looking to do God the Father's will and to do all to his glory in life and in death. Thank you for reading along. As we get into the message here, we'll be taking two common, talking about two very common directions today. The topics itself is not new. We talk about this all the time, but the, the application and the context of the scripture we read is what changes it. We're talking about Christ and us, Christ and us. And specifically with one common theme, with one main idea, and that is Christ and us in the shadow of the cross, the shadow of the cross. And we start with Christ in the scriptures we just read in John 12, 27. As noted before, as we read today, we find Jesus with his triumphant entry behind him. Jesus is now just a few days away from his betrayal, his arrest, his denial and crucifixion. It's coming. You know, throughout this book of John, we've read and we've read and we've read and we heard, we heard, we heard, we studied, we studied, we studied where Jesus would say, my time has not yet come. Now the time has come. He's a few short days away. As John notes, just previous to this in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The moment Jesus has anticipated throughout his time on earth has now come. Christ is now walking, talking, sitting. Everything he does, Christ is in the shadow of the cross. And how appropriate of timing that we too are in the shadow of the cross. This wasn't planned. I don't want to bring it too much attention this, but I think when I first started John, I thought we'd be done about now. Instead, God has delivered us to John chapter 12, just halfway through the book of John, just a couple weeks before Resurrection Sunday, just a couple weeks before Good Friday, just a couple weeks where we talk about the cross and we put much more, more emphasis upon it. Christ is in the shadow of cross, and so are we. But let's look to Christ in the shadow of cross. It's as if the cross has passed over him, and he sees the shadow. It's as if the cross has passed over him, and as this cross, which being dramatized, has placed this shadow upon him, he realizes the light being taken from him as he thinks about the sin entering upon his life and this separation from God the Father for the first time ever. The pain, the crucifixion. And he finds himself, as scripture says, his soul troubled. Very troubled. The one who John won as we started this last year, we started this right before, right after Easter last year. And in John 1, we read of this one, this Jesus, this Christ. He was in the beginning with God and is God. The one which is troubled here. John 1 also tells us all things were made through him. And without him, not anything made that was made. 
this one, Jesus, is troubled. And take note, this troubled is not, this word, this term, this, the definition of this is not just a slightly type of trouble. It's not just slightly troubled at all, but one which could have a meaning of being horrified, filled with great anxiety, agitation, perplexed, or greatly disturbed. He was shook to the very soul, as it says, his soul is troubled. And in this, we can see that Christ did not go to the cross emotionless, detached, without feelings, or indifferent. He felt every bit of the cross. He knew what he was doing. It was all for us and for God's glory and purpose and will. As Isaiah 53, 3 references, Jesus is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. I hope you can see in this that our salvation from sin is not cheap. It's not accomplished by Christ without pain of both a great physical and spiritual sense. Don't ever think that Jesus did not feel pain on that cross for what he was doing for you. Christ, the son of God in human form, dealt with some of the very same emotions as us. He was tempted. He was tired. He was troubled. He would be betrayed. He would be denied. He would be whipped and flogged and skin hanging off his body. And we're save that for later. He can relate to us in our pain and our struggles, but in all of his pain, all of his struggles, it's important to also see that he never sinned. For this is how he was able to be the perfect, blemishless lamb, sacrificial lamb we needed. Speaking of all of this, one commentator discussed and said, Jesus in his humanness felt the very real pain that would come upon him with bearing the curse of our sin. It wasn't just physical. It was the spiritual too. And then Chuck Swindoll states of this, in a particular transparent moment, we see the Lord as if overcome by dread. He knew he would soon face agony of a cosmic scale. I love that, that analogy, that illustration there. It's so vivid. Saddening too. Jesus, for us, for our sins, something he didn't deserve, would face agony of a cosmic scale. And for people that did not appreciate it, for people who did not deserve it, people would be mocking him and cursing him and yelling at him and yelling, crucify him, crucify him. He, he still went through, but that's later. Our sin would soon come upon him. Let me finish that statement. He knew he would soon face agony of a cosmic scale for more than just the physical pain of the crucifixion. Our sin would soon come upon him. Nevertheless, Jesus came to earth for this agony, a fact which the Father verified and a voice heard from heaven. Some understood these words. Others heard thunder. But God verified his purpose and his glory which would be seen and come to come about through it. Back to the point, speaking of troubling thoughts or events to come, and I appreciate all of you sharing, all of you thinking, but I hope you can now see that the troubling thing on Jesus' mind was not an appointment to a dentist which awaited him like I have coming in a couple weeks. 
It was not a troubling thought of having to clean a bedroom or having to go to work or having to do balance a busy schedule of school and athletics and homework. It wasn't a troubling thought about what medicine you have to take or fixing a car. All these things are troubling thoughts indeed. But what Jesus is troubled by, what Jesus is contemplating greatly is the fact that just in a few days, he would be fulfilling all the messianic prophecies, taking on the wrath of God for our sins, the sins of the world and crucifixion. And this greatly troubled him. It troubled him deeply down to his very soul. Yet even in this, again, there's no sin. Jesus did not sin. It's important to see this. But I think sometimes we ourselves beat ourselves down thinking that we're wrongful and sinful for being sad or grieving or struggling. It's okay to struggle. What's not okay is not crying out to God and being honest with him and asking for his help and then submitting to him and his help. But even in that, sometimes we must endure the struggle, endure the pain, because it is the purpose, the will, the glory of God. Jesus did this. I want to focus on Jesus' response here today. You see, Jesus' response, while in the shadow of the cross, is not just what leads to saving us from sin and guarantees us eternity with God in his heaven and future earth but also is one of which helps us to have a challenging and convicting way to live while troubled ourselves. In light of the shadow of the cross, we walk in the shadow of eternity. Let me say that again. In light of the shadow of the cross, we walk in the shadow of eternity. I want to show you a simplified, more summarized point here I came up with on this next slide. Jesus was troubled by what awaited him, yet still he would glorify God. We also may find ourselves troubled, and it's okay, but we must still seek God's glory. The way I see it, Jesus had two choices here, and we also have two choices, and that's what we're going to get to in the rest of the message here today. One, speaking of Jesus first, one, he could flee he could snap his fingers, say one word, think one thought, and have a legion of angels at his side to save him from this terrible future which awaited him. With one word, he could create a solution which benefited him and not just us. He could choose to give up on us, on our redemption and the fulfillment of God's plan and will. He could give in to allowing his emotional response to take control and change his proper response to God. Let me say that again, because I think that applies to our, our lives too. Jesus, in fleeing, could have given in to allowing his emotional response to take control and change his proper response to God. Too often, we allow our emotional response to take control. And because of that, we never have the proper response to God, which he demands and needs. If ever there was a moment of decision in Christ's life, it was now. What shall he say? What shall he do? He could request salvation from this hour. In fact, as we look to this scripture, that's exactly what he asked. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
After all, the cross this hour was, from man's perspective, the most horrifying death, the most tragic event imaginable for any man. But God would use this for triumph, for victory, for glory. Number two, Jesus' second choice is this. He could continue on and fulfill the mission of the cross, which was set before him. And in so doing, not only follow God's will and plan, but glorify him and provide our freedom from the bondage of sin, provide a peace with our Father in heaven, provide a reconciliation from sin. It still takes action on our part. We must choose, and this isn't the two points of later, but still, we must choose to submit to Christ, to seek his forgiveness of sin, to confess he is Lord not just Lord of this world, but Lord over you. That means submitting to him and his ways, living in a way which pleases him. And that's not what saves you. Our faith in him as Lord is what saves us, but it should be evidence for our faith. Our lives should change once we start following him. Change for his glory. Change by living to his will. Let's move forward. The cross was the purpose of his coming to earth. It was the plan from the beginning, and although man thought it to be a tragedy to God and us, it would be a victorious and glorious plan and event. If he had been saved from this hour, we would have been lost from God for every hour for eternity. Let me say that again. As I wrote that, I was just impacted greatly. If Jesus had been saved from this hour, we would have been lost from God for every hour for eternity. What would Jesus do? Jesus chose God. Jesus chose God. He chose love and, for, and obedience. We also can and should always choose God, love, and obedience. As I laid in bed last night, just thinking over these final thoughts, I added this this morning. Jesus chose us. In choosing God, he also chose us. Hebrews 4 I'm sorry, I wrote that down wrong. Hebrews 12, 2, I believe. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. But note, this, this joy which was before him wasn't his death. It wasn't the cross itself. I mean, he'd be a crazy man if the joy was just the fact of being tortured and whipped and flogged and cursed and mocked and nails driven through his body, bleeding out. This is the truth. I'm sorry. This is facts. It's straight from Scripture. The joy was knowing what it would accomplish. It would accomplish his purpose. It would accomplish God's will. It would accomplish his glory. It would accomplish our salvation, our redemption, our freedom from sin and the bondage it had upon us. Jesus might have been troubled but he also has an immeasurable courage and bravery on our behalf to do what needed to be done. As one commentator stated, and I've got this on the screen for you as well, real courage does not mean not ever being afraid. It means being terribly troubled, afraid, and yet still doing the thing that ought to be done. Doing the right thing. That's courageous. That's bravery. Let's get back to the scripture and points. John 12, 27 again reads, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. I love how there's two different ways to read this. And either way is fine because either way it brings glory to God. But in one way you can read it with great dread, with great sorrow. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose I've come to this hour, Father. Or you can read it differently. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But then notice, there can be a change here. But for this purpose I've come to this hour, Father, glorify your name. I think our lives should have a transition, too, when we're troubled. It's okay to be troubled. But when we think of the great blessing we have of living for God, living for a greater purpose than ourselves, we can speak like that. I want you to notice what happens in this text before us, though, and I briefly mentioned this. Jesus, troubled, cries out to the Father God. And God responds, too. He responds greatly. We're not focusing on us yet, but here's a great application We, too, when troubled, need to cry out to God. Be honest with him of your emotions, your thoughts, your struggles. Jesus was honest with God. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, part of the triune God, was honest in admitting his grief that he was bearing. Why would we think we should be better or stronger than Jesus? Admit your struggles to God. This is brave. This is doing the very thing that ought to be done. Jesus here pleads and grieves to his father, God in heaven, of what was to come to him. But then notice the transition. Despite his ponderings, despite his motions, despite addressing them properly, he does not allow anything but God's purpose to control his future. Jesus' response is powerful here as he says, But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's Jesus' response to troubling thoughts. Father, glorify your name, your purpose. But that goes beyond this day. That goes to what Jesus' entire life was characterized by. The Father's will. The Father's glory. Jesus continues in his purpose of being on earth and all for God's glory. And we can too. Jesus will glorify God. This was a response which Jesus would always live by and die by and for God's glory. Jesus would glorify God in the cross in several ways. I wrote down three. Jesus glorifies God by proceeding with the plan. In this plan, Jesus glorifies God in bringing peace between the Father and his children through the reconciliation of sin with him being the sacrificial lamb. Jesus also glorifies God in and through this plan by Satan will be defeated now and God's sovereignty and holiness is further made known. As one pastor stated about all this, sin and condemnation has no further power over those who have been rescued by Jesus. And in all this glorifying action of Christ, God would make his pleasure in Christ known. His voice from heaven would be heard by all. Let's bring this back to us as we work to wrap up. 
As I said before, we also are living in the shadow of the cross, but differently. You see, because of the cross, we live in shadow of eternity, but a different eternity. We live in a shadow of eternity where we have this promise of looking forward to living with God in his heaven forever through Christ, through his love, through his troubling thoughts which, and soul which drove him to the cross. We are rescued. You see, we get burdened, troubled too. We live in troubling times with troubling souls and troubling events await us each and every single day. We demonstrated this at the beginning of the message and maybe a little bit lightheartedly, but it's true. We're all troubled. I guarantee you, almost everybody in here, when I asked you to think about something troubling, you probably thought about something a lot more troubling than cleaning a bedroom. You just didn't want to, you didn't want to admit it. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to God. Seek his help. Seek his purpose. Seek his glory. But let's take this a step further here. Bring this to a very real and troubling reality. We walk in the shadow of eternity. That's something much more deep than cleaning our room. That's much more deep than the politics of the day. That's much more deep than our current health status. It's eternity. And let's take that a step deeper. Everybody around us is also living and walking in the shadow of eternity. And some of them are not going the right direction. You see, in these times, all times really, but especially times of souls troubled greatly, of which may be tempted to flee from God, we must always have lives characterized by a strong will to seek to live by and die for God's glory, just like Jesus. I said that kind of fast. If you need my notes later, email me. I'll get you a copy. But I want to push on. You see, because of the cross of Christ, we walk in the shadow of eternity, an eternity of peace with God and a residing in his heaven forever, which is now possible. Glorious news. Glorious news. But in all of this news, we still have two choices ourselves, which I haven't said yet. So we must state those now as we wrap up here. It may be an oversimplification to say two choices, two courses of action. But I think a lot of times, I know I'm the king of this, I overly complicate everything. When we break it down, though, there's two choices, two courses of action. One, just like Christ, how he had, he had two choices mentioned. One, we can flee. We can walk in the ways of the world instead of in the ways of God, and we may have many temporary happiness things. Many temporary gratifications, big words. But their end, and we'll only be tormented for eternity. Or two, walk in the ways of God, seeking to glorify him and his plan, acknowledging as hard as it may be that this is his will, and even in it, he can and will be glorified, and his kingdom will come to be. And as hard as news that it that may be, we can also see that he has the best in mind for all of his children as well. His way is the right way to live and to die and to live for eternity. But in this, I want you to see one final thing. First, let me restate that big application for us today. Can consider your response to God's 
calling. Consider your response to troubling times and seek God. Don't flee, don't run, don't walk away, but continue to serve him. But in this, please see this big thing. Even Jesus cried out to the Father. We should too. We should too. Don't try and get through troubling times on your own or in your own way. Do it with the Father and to glorify him and with the friends, the brothers, the sisters in Christ which he's given you. Now, we did not address that entire second half of the scripture today. So I just want to end with reading part of it as a great challenge, as a great convicting thought for us to think of. In verse 35 and 36, Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. Let me put this more simply for you. Believe in Jesus and never be in darkness. Walk in his ways. Follow him. Submit to his lordship. Please bow your heads. We'll close in prayer. And we do have one final song. I'm tempted to skip it, but we're going to still do it because it's a powerful way to close. Let me close. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for seeing his humanity here. We thank you for seeing both his human side and God's side. We thank you for seeing that even Jesus, the one who created all things by your side, Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah, Jesus was troubled and cries out to you but he still seeks your glory. And Lord, I pray that we would do the same, that when we're troubled, because we are troubled every day of our lives, we pray that we would seek you out, cry out to you, be honest with you, but still seek your purpose, seek your glory. And it's in your holy and powerful name, we pray for people to come to know you, to believe in the light, to see the light, and to walk in the light. For an end is coming where people will no longer have that choice and they will be given into their temporary gratification to the flesh and the world. May we choose to follow you today and for eternity. It's in your holy, powerful name we pray your glory to come through all things. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing together this final song. Oh, Jesus.